This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. This is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and your faith practices. And we are really excited today to bring you a fresh bit of content. It is something we haven't done before. Mm. Um, So this is actually our very first ever, and I'm hoping it becomes a semi-regular thing. Not every week, but maybe like a once a year sort of thing. Um, But it's a QA and a episode. Woo! Q's and A's. They are uh, my favourite letters in the alphabet. Quanda. Quanda. No, yeah, <laughs> I remember there's that show on uh, ABC in Australia called Q&A and they have a hashtag Q&A and, Q and, and I literally, <laughs> legitimately thought the show was called Quanda for ages. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favourite show, Quanda. You know? Quanda. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we have so many questions. So thank you all so much for what you sent. Um so, yeah, if you're following us on social media, that's really where we posted all this. So, if you're like, oh, no, I wish I could have done this, it's a good lesson that you should follow us on social media. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited. This is something that we should have done ages ago. But, yeah, as Josh said, we're hoping to make this more of a regular or a semi-regular thing once every little while because um, you guys ask some good questions. And some of you ask some weird questions, but you ask some good good weird questions as well. Um so I'm excited to, to to jump into it. Let's just jump into it. Let's just okay. keep jumping into it. Okay, we're watching too much PewDiePie. All right. Okay, let's uh, wait, let's just go from the top. We're ready. Okay. We're pretty much going from right now, everybody. Right now. Okay. <laughs> so the very first question. Um, okay, we're not going to say who they're all from. But the first one, I am going to say who it's from. <laughs> You're going to break your rule. Like, this is the rule, and I'm about to break it right away. This is the rule, and I'm breaking it for the first question, but I won't break it for the rest. This is from Martin Crabtree. It's because I know that he'd love the shout-out, So, and I, I miss him. He's one of, one of my best friends, so that's why it's all right for me to shout-out. Martin Crabtree, thank you for this question. It's a great question, and I'm excited to start this whole thing off with it. All right. What is the most awesome thing you've heard of a church doing recently? that you think should be implemented in other churches? And then he has another question. Well, let's do that one first. And then yes, he has yes, another yes. question. We'll go to that after. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So yeah, Jesse, what do you reckon? Okay. Um, one thing that I've been seeing a local church do recently, um, and I'm really, really into it, is Kingscliff Church um, in Kingscliff, New South Wales. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> What's, King- <laughs> What's Kingscliff doing? Um, so they have a, a youth program, a youth and young adult night called Friday Night. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. And it's it's pretty cool. And and the cool thing about it is they actually have one of our friends, um, Mr. Wesley Hendricks. Wesley? Wes? Wesley? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is Wesley. That's the full name. Yeah. I just knew him as Wes. Um, he is doing some pretty amazing, and I'm, I think they have maybe some other artists in there as well, doing some pretty amazing Instagram um, advertising for their gathering. 
Now, if you are familiar with Adventism, you know that one of the things that we probably struggle with the most is visual branding. Um, we like to have everything sort of the same, but that same kind of is a little bit boring sometimes and a little bit stale. But what Friday Night is doing is really, really interesting. They have a lot of really amazing Instagram content. Um, it's super eye-catching. It's super um, interesting to, to, to look at. And I think it, they're doing a really, really good job to actually advertise and um, portray a vibe of, you know, just really, really awesome young adults doing great stuff. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I haven't even heard of that. So I'm going to, I mean, I've heard of Kingscliff, but I haven't seen what they're doing. I'm going to check that out. Uh, for me, I think uh, what Matt Lucio's church has just started doing recently is actually really cool. They've only done three of them, but um, so his church, Peoria, I don't know how to, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's just where they're from in America, but their actual whole church together started a YouTube page, um, but it's a YouTube page. It's not just like the sermons from their church service. It's actual videos made for YouTube with like a studio and you bought a camera, they've got like a, a thing and it's something that the whole church can contribute to and be a part of. Um, so they've done one where they like do um, a taste test between two vegetarian burgers. They did another one talking about is Adventism a cult. Um, so yeah, I mean, they've only done three videos. So, but I, I think it's a really cool idea for a church to start something like that together um, because it's it's not just like the pastor on show. It's actually like reaching out and it's also building their community as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's cool. And I think it's something pretty simple that more churches could do, actually creating content together as a church. And YouTube's a great pl platform for that. I agree. I agree. I think it's definitely something that we need to see more and more happening. I'd love to be able to get my local church into that one day. I think it's, yeah, super awesome. Yeah, well, that's, that's a, I mean, honestly, that's like the one challenge I find with this podcast. I mean, I love doing this podcast, but I always think like, oh, it'd be great to have more of my church involved in this. At the mm. moment, it's just sort of something I do as a lone wolf, but I don't really... That's just how it started. And I'm like, oh, if I was going to start a new podcast and anyone can steal this idea, I don't really care. I would probably like to do something where I can involve my church, where maybe for the podcast, I just go around and interview every episode. It's just a, an interview with a different member of the church or something. Mm. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, like something like that. I think it's really cool when churches do a, a digital ministry together that unifies them. Yes. And it's uh, something that, yeah, a, a, as you say, it's something that unifies people that everybody can kind of get behind. Like, this is what we are doing together and we are reaching yeah. into the digital space like this that's what i always tell people for the podcast you know like my local church is uh, my two local churches that i pastor here in the manawatu in new zealand are pretty small they're like just 50 people each and yet with the podcast we're now like reaching over 2,000 people every single month which is just crazy and it's like so much bigger imagine if you had a local church maybe you were only 20 30 50 people but then you are reaching like thousands of people every month just with your local church outside the four walls. Like that's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. it's And, uh, you know, that's it's cool because I think about um, part of, I think, what actually unified the church. This is, something I've, this is a really fresh thought for me and maybe we'll do a whole episode on it once but um, coming up. But um, I've been thinking about like how we did evangelism previously, it doesn't really work in the Western world where we all used to get together and hand out flyers and, you know, we'd have a speaker come and it's like an evangelism seminar. Part of the reason that actually works really well is because 
what worked really well in the past is because the whole church would be involved with it together, setting up. Yeah. They're all there. They're all listening to it together. They're all trying to think of people they can invite. Um, that's a good, like obviously the whole seminar and what they do seminars on don't work as well now in the Western world, but the mindset of all doing something together and unifying like that, that's what churches should be doing. Mm. Um, that's, that's mm. really effective evangelism when you can really get your whole church involved in something. Yeah. hundred percent um, agree. hundred percent agree. Cool. Um, and so, are you, okay. You happy with that, Jesse? We'll move on. Let's <laughs> um, keep jumping into it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, his second question, and I love this question, and I don't have a good answer for it, but um, if you were to make a video game based on a story from the Bible, which story would you make? <laughs> um, well, yeah, would make a great game. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I I have two. I'll share one, then you can share one, and then if if we have any double doubling up, then we can. I'll I'll retract mine. But the first one yep. would probably be. King David and his mighty men. Yeah, yeah. That's probably <laughs> okay. like that's like like the quintessential one. Cause like yeah, yeah, it'd be awesome. It's like it's it's like it's like if you had God of War or one of those sorts of types of games, which is like a hack and slash sort of platforming. Because um, like literally, David and his mighty men, they kill hundreds, thousands of people. Like there's stories where. Like oh, such and such general was in a field with 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 three hundred philistines, and he killed them all with nothing more than a piece of hair and a twig. <laughs> he 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 MacGyvered them. <laughs> you know, it's like they're crazy, amazing stories. Wrestling a giant man who was like a lion with a spear, and it was just like, what? This is these are, this is like great yeah. source material. Yeah, you could really flesh it out. Use a f- bit of imagination, obviously, to flesh that into a full game, but. Yeah, that'd be totally. cool. Um, I had an idea for maybe... Um, I, I was thinking about like Noah's Ark. Um, oh, yeah. But it's like, a, it's like a strategy and collecting game. So basically, you get a time <laughs> limit on when the flood's going to hit. And your aim, you've got to build the best boat. You've got to gather resources. You've got to see if you can get all the animals onto the boat. Like, and like It's basically just a timed game. So the flood hits and then you, you get a score and see how well you did interesting yeah that's, so that's then if you if you're like oh i reckon i could get more animals or a better boat next time or something do you know what i mean like it so it's like a timed resource collecting building game that's, that's interesting yeah there's a game that's kind of similar to that in in the in the core concept it's called factorio um oh, i've heard of that yeah you're like this this spaceman you crash landed on a planet and your ultimate aim is to escape the planet and so you build all these factories and you automate all the robots and, and you're gathering resources and you're building your rocket and that's your ultimate aim is to... It, so it almost kind of reminds me of something like that. Like you're building up your arc over time and your ultimate aim is to survive the flood when it inevitably hits. You have that looming over you the whole time. Hmm, that's cool. Hmm. Uh, what was your second game? Okay, second idea. my second idea was is a little bit more abstract um, but there's been a couple of really awesome games that have been coming out in the last few years that are more story based, like the Walking Dead series, or um, there's oh, yep. a there's like a Game of Thrones, like the Telltale series. Oh yeah. Um, and and a whole bunch of other like there's this one that I played recently called The Story About My Uncle, um, and it's basically like a first person. Um, it's kind of like a first person parkour type game, like Mirror's Edge, but. It's it's Sweet. telling a story over it the whole time. 
and um, you're like going through all these really bizarre worlds and it's really it's really fun because they blend platforming with story and it's great. But my idea was a game based on either the Apocalypse of Enoch or the Apocalypse of Revelation of or the Apocalypse of John. Oh, interesting. Like Darksiders, that game, that you know, that's sort of based yeah, very yeah. loosely based on on Revelation. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Um, so yeah. So using that source material, the the heaven, and I like Enoch as well because Enoch is even more crazy than Revelation, if that's even possible. So, <laughs> you know, Enoch, the the Apocalypse of Enoch isn't canon, but it is actually referenced in our Bible. Um, Jude, uh, one of the the last books of the New Testament, actually references. The Apocalypse of Enoch, even though Enoch isn't part of our canonical Bible, but mm-hmm. if you if you ever have a chance, um, dear listener, I would definitely recommend that you go and check it out. It's it's a it's a wild ride. It definitely seems like something that somebody got on like psilocybin mushrooms and just went on a complete like that's the sort of crazy levels of stuff. But Revelation itself is is a little bit like that. But I just think like a story based game, whether it's first person or maybe third person, like a Telltale type game. But the subject material is obviously just so wild and so out there because of the apocalyptic nature. I think it'd be interesting, at least. Interesting, yeah. Um, funnily enough, I wouldn't really <laughs> recommend people to read Enoch, but mainly that's because I don't want people to think it's actually canon or something. Do you know what I mean? That's oh, I think I I yeah. would I, I would say that too. It's definitely not canon, but if you are interested in reading something crazy and wild, that's probably okay. not yeah, true, but is also quite entertaining. Enoch is very entertaining. Gotcha. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Would, interesting as literature, not necessarily as, oh, why isn't this in the Bible? We should have this in the Bible because there are some pretty crazy bits in it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that'd be, that'd, be pretty, that'd be pretty cool. Like, I don't know, a game based on that. Do you know what else would be a cool game, actually? Mm-hmm. I reckon. Um, get all right. So I'm I'm picturing sort of like um, you know how you know how like Assassin's Creed games they would have that epic. The first mission is really like a prologue to the story. Yeah, and then the whole story takes a big twist, and then it is different. Mm. So like a game based on Saul, where the the prologue is you as Saul hunting down Christians, and then oh. you have your big um road uh what is it road to Damascus. Um, Damascus. I was, yeah, was going to say Denarius. I'm like, that's not it. But, <laughs> and that's a conversion experience. And then the rest of the game is you going on the mission. But I don't know what the gameplay would be like. You go and like preach to people and try and convince them and stuff, or get beaten I don't know, up but and die a few times and then come back. Go to, to life. prison for ages. And yeah. just, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. That, that's a cool question. Thanks for that, Martin. All right. Cool. Next question. Um. All right. Actually, I'm going to say who this one's from as well. Okay, because I'm going to say next, who the next two are from. The next two, the the next two are kind of they're kind of like linked. Yeah, they are. Um, so the Badventist podcast, um, <laughs> which if you haven't listened to them, uh, you know that's that's you you'll figure out where they get their name pretty quick. <laughs> Interestingly enough, a little bit of trivia. That's one of the original ideas that I had for us to call Burn the Haystack. Yeah. But then we decided it wasn't a good idea for us. So I'm glad somebody took up the mantle. I am so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, what What's your least favorite other Adventist podcast? <laughs> this is such a... <laughs> All right. I'm going to... I'll start. I'm not, I don't have a one podcast that I would say is my least favorite other than Badventist. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I actually really appreciate what they bring to the table. Um 
But I can say I at least have a least favorite other kind of Adventist podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I'm going to say my, le- and I feel really rude saying it, but I just don't really like, um, I don't really like podcasts where it's just sermons and nothing else. Like they just grab their sermons from church and the sermons don't acknowledge that they're going in a podcast format or anything. It's just like, oh, this is a cheap way for us to get more, more views on our sermons. Um, like, mm. and I say that my church, my church puts, puts sermons on a podcast. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like we don't do it and I get it. But for me, it's like, oh, it's just, it's not really like a podcast. I mean, it is, but it just doesn't feel like it's actually a deliberate podcast, if, if you know what I mean. Especially if the yeah. sermon is really not designed to go to listeners outside of that church. I think there are some I think there are some churches that do this really well like I think yeah. North Point North Point does this really well because they have this great intro where they're actually guiding you into hey this is our message for the day please you know engage with us in these ways yada 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 it's really personable and then when whether it's Andy or you know whether it's one of the other pastors who's preaching when they actually preach they are acknowledging that they are listening to a podcast like you'll actually hear them say things like if you're listening to this at home or you know on the internet or on your podcast you know blah 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 this is your application so but what you're talking about is just literally ripping off the sabbath morning sermon and just without any acknowledgement that it's going beyond that yeah and like you know in the sermon they're like referencing people in the church and in jokes and they're not really explaining things Mm. yeah i really don't like that i don't like you know oh jerry and the church did this and then you're just like it's not really like it's not helpful to me like you guys all know this person i don't know yeah yeah so that's what i like that's definitely my least favorite kind personally what about what about you jesse (laughs) um again hard i there are probably two types that I don't like. I don't, I don't necessarily like the um, the radio to to podcast adaptations where you're just releasing... Like if you have like an Adventist radio station and you're just releasing the radio show for the morning as part of a podcast, I'm not into that. Um, oh, really? I, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like... I think sometimes it works, but I don't necessarily listen to a podcast to listen to the radio. If I want to listen to the radio, that's what I'll do. And I don't listen yeah. to the radio, so I would never do that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I mean, I, I've only found I've only done it once because I was catching up on. Um, you remember in Australia, Triple J, they have um, hack. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's excellent. So that's mm. why I'm like, okay, that can be my exception. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's professional though. You know. Yeah, it's like next level. <laughs> um. The other thing that I don't like is if you listen to a podcast where you're used to somebody, um, where you're used to somebody speaking to you every week or, or every month or whatever it is. I don't like it when people do cheap um, ring-ins because they didn't have time to record an episode or they um, they had some technical issue. Look, I get you know where I'm a podcaster. We understand stuff happens, and sometimes you miss an episode or sometimes you just can't release something but what i hate is when people kind of like upload an old episode be like hey we couldn't do an episode this week so here listen to one of the old ones that you listened to four months ago or here here's uh, i couldn't record an episode today so here's a sermon i preached or here's when i was on the other person's podcast and i usually just stop listening because i'm not interested in that i'm interested in what they have to say if they're on that particular podcast oh that's interesting like I, personally, I don't mind it. 
Yeah. But that's like <laughs> I was actually thinking, oh, we should do <laughs> we should release an old episode one day. But mainly because I know that there's a bunch in the archives that our newer audiences probably haven't listened to. Yes. That yes. I would think yeah, but I probably I wouldn't do it four months out or something no no <laughs> it'd be like, like years out yeah I, I don't i don't have any issue with that either but like the other day i listened to this podcast called the 200 churches podcast which is a podcast just for pastors who um are yep. from small churches they are it's like episode 380 or something like that like they've been going for ages they just released they re-released uh an episode that they'd done like 150 episodes prior with nt Wright, and because i hadn't listened to the podcast four years ago when they, you know, recorded that episode, um, or three years ago, rather, I, I I didn't know that episode existed. So, I appreciated that. But that's like, when that when you get to that point, you're at another level of podcasting and I feel that's when you yeah. can actually do it rather than your episode, you're at episode 70 and you release an episode from episode 40 or something like that. I think that's... Yeah, that's... Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I've also listened to that one with NT Wright. And fun fact, did you know they've actually re-released that episode twice? I did not. Yeah. They mentioned it at the beginning briefly. I'm like, are you kidding? So they've re-released it once and this is the second time they've re-released that episode. <laughs> that is funny. But I guess... Yeah, it is. But as as you, as we said, you know, like they're at that level where they can do that. Yeah, they've been going for so long. Well, we'll be there one day, people. One absolutely. Day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. And the second one, which is well related to this and unintentionally they were next to each other. Um, Ryan Becker asks, <laughs> what is your favorite podcast and why is it absurdity? <laughs> well, you know, I, I enjoy listening to Absurdity because it's a mixture of um, a hot takes, uh, of criticism and negativity, and uh, a little bit of seasonal depression. I like it. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, honestly, I do really appreciate Absurdity just because that was the first other Adventist podcast we found once yeah. we started. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I mean, I'll always have a soft spot for absurdity and love supporting Ryan. And he is the only other Adventist podcaster that we've had on Burn the Haystack twice. That is true. That is, a- wow, that is true. So all my negative comments are kind of null and void now because clearly we love him. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and he's, he's been really helpful to us in our journey. Mm. Uh, okay, but other than absurdity, uh, my next favorite, what would my next favorite be? Mm. Oh, I've always loved the Rob cast. That's always been way up there with Rob Bell. Call me a yeah. heretic, but I love it. I love I love the Bible Project podcast, honestly. Oh, that one's really good. Um I I love when they do their series, like they just do like a deep dive into a topic. Um I just it's finished insane, listening eh? to their series on Acts. Well, I don't think they're done quite yet, but I'm I'm up to their their current on Acts and that's really cool. Um but apart from that, I also really like this cultural moment. Um, that's oh a, yes, that's a great episode. That's a great podcast. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. Carrie Newhoff. Really, I really want to get Mark Sayers from this cultural moment on. Yeah. Really want to get him on the podcast. And yeah, Carrie Newhoff is always solid. Man, so many good podcasts. How do you even choose? I'm always in the mood for something different too. If you are in the mood for something different. I listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History the other day and I thought, oh yeah. I thought that's pretty intense. It is very intense. I thought, oh yeah, I'll give it a go. You know, how how, how bad could it be? Um, it wasn't bad, but it was... So I listened to the episode called The Celtic Holocaust. Um, 
and it's basically about Julius Caesar's conquest of the uh, Celtic nations of Gaul and um, Iberia and, and a lot of those different areas in what we now know as Belgium and France and Germany. Interesting. In, in like 40, 50 BC or something like that. So, um, and, and he terms it as the, the Celtic Holocaust because the Gallic Wars took this incredible toll on um, the, the Celtic peoples and um, really changed the face of what we now see as modern Europe. It is super, it is super ridiculously in-depth. Like there's, it's it's one of those podcasts where like there's no intro music. It's just Dan Carlin getting straight into it. Like he just jumps right into it, and um, <laughs> yeah. he's just he's just got this way of making you just go. Oh, I want to know what happens next. He's a great great educator. So yeah, cool. That's awesome. You know another really good podcast. I don't listen to every episode, but um, probably listen to every few episodes. This one one piques my interest, but stuff you should know. It's such mm. a good podcast. It I was just thinking, it's funny, you mentioned the Celts. I was actually just listening to their podcast on Druids and everything we know about mm. Druids and their idea from Celtic culture. Super interesting. Mm. Okay. Anyway, we could go on about this for ages. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this, yeah I'm yeah. scrolling through my podcast list now and I'm like, I want to mention this and this and this. And this. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. Um, but yeah, obviously absurdity, MVP, Illy. Um, okay. Uh, the next one. I feel like I should say who this is from too, but anyway. You're breaking your rule for the third time. Uh, no, no, fourth time, actually, but no, I won't. I won't. Okay. Uh, this person asks, why are you both so cute? They are a male, so I don't think they'd be. Well, I don't know. Um, and then they you, say, the idea of the exclusive remnant. Swing mm. wide, people. We're the inclusive remnant. Not really a question. <laughs> more, more of a statement that I can say, amen, I think. Maybe... Maybe we should have asked, um, <laughs> what's an idea that you don't like? Yeah. <laughs> the idea of the exclusive remnant. So we were, okay. <laughs> they were asking us to ask them the question so they could give us the answer. Maybe. Maybe he will have to come back on the podcast again soon to talk to us all about the inclusive remnant. Mm. I, I think that was actually one of our more popular episodes. He, he's been on the podcast before. That's Twice. A, oh, yeah. But he's not a podcaster. But he's not. Oh, who could it be? <laughs> Pretty easy to work out. But anyway. <laughs> all right. um, but yeah, no, the idea of the exclusive remnant. Um, I would say, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm speaking for both of us, I think. But I think we're both, we're not, neither of us would class ourselves as restrict restrictivists in our salvific worldview. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Or, or like, uh, yeah, yeah. We're more inclusive. I think, I think, yeah. I'm I'm definitely more inclusive in in the way that I think about salvation. I, I don't no. I'm not a scholar, so I find it difficult no. to 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 talk about this, but I don't from my reading of of scripture, I don't know that the idea of an exclusive remnant is a very biblical topic or is a very biblical concept. I just don't think it is. Yeah, it's pretty Old Testament, but it's definitely not New Testament. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I is, yeah. Part, that's when you run into problems when you sort of don't... Yeah. This is actually probably worth a whole episode, just talking about the remnant, to be honest. Yeah. Just trying to unpack it. Maybe, maybe we should get our... a good guest on. Maybe we should get our resident scholar, Ben Reynolds, back to talk about this. True. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who should start a podcast and hasn't. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, when yeah. will he do that? Anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think we agree. I don't really know what else to add to it. Um, I agree. Yeah, but it can... I think I will add this, though. Um, the idea of an exclusive remnant, 
I think has been quite toxic to um, Adventism as a culture. culture. Yeah. And I think it's very much affected our relationship with other denominations. Definitely. Um, and unfortunately, that's why so many other denominations um, of Christianity um, and, yeah, Protestant and, and Catholic as well, um, I think they just... They, they don't have a very positive view of Advent, Ad, Adventism. And when I go to um, non-denominational sort of conferences or something, people are always shocked that I'm an Adventist and I'm there. And they're like, oh, I've never even had a chance to talk to an Adventist. I thought they were all old or they were all from, I don't know, Papua New Guinea or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, so I think I think we actually do need to, we need to really work on, on getting this, this idea like and just solve it and say, no, this I don't think this is who we are. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm happy to talk about it. But yeah, I don't think just... Anyway, yeah, I don't think... Yeah. I, don't, I don't like the idea of an exclusive remnant that is... Anyway, yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree, I think. But th- the problem with this idea is it's wrapped up in so much of who we are. It's it's wrapped up in last generation theology. It's wrapped up in 1844, the investigative judgment. It's all very Adventist. Um, yeah, so to, to, Sunday to sort of Yeah, Sunday law, that whole, that whole shtick... So to, to kind of pull that apart and say, no, we don't believe in exclusive remnant. Let's talk about more of an inclusive remnant. I think you would have to kind of pull apart a lot of what people consider to be core Adventist doctrine. And so I think that would probably be painful for a whole bunch of people. But as you've said, and I agree, the idea of the exclusive remnant, the idea of last generation theology, that you have to be perfect before God's going to accept you and going to come again, like that is super destructive. It really drives people to extreme lengths um and it it just it destroys relationships it destroys people's self-worth all that sort of stuff yeah so massive topic um which we will we will talk about it one day okay we'll go into more but that's all the thoughts we have now for for now um i think there's some great resources if you want to check out george knight i think he's written about it a bit um i can't think of anybody else right now but anyway uh so the next question um who do you think should be the next GC Prez? President. Well, that, yeah, that's pretty easy. Nimrod Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Every day, man. I, 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 we're going we're gonna to start a campaign for Nimrod to be the GC president. You we're going to force him. Uh, he, I don't think he would ever want to be the, conf- the, the GC president, but we're going to force him to be the be. I don't great. care about what he wants. Need to give the people what they need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my next vote would probably be Mitchell Strawn. Oh, mate. Back in the day, back in the day, back at Avondale, the Avondale Student Association president, man. I was on the, I was on the campaign trail with him. Uh, it was basically my effort that got him into presidency. So I reckon I could be a pretty good <laughs> campaign manager. For uh, I mean, you know, ASA president, GC president, not that much difference between the two. So I think it'd be pretty easy. True. Okay. <laughs> easy. Job done. Quickest question ever. All right. Uh, the next one is actually just for you, Jesse. Um, yeah. Why do you hate the Kardashians? Have we talked about this on the podcast? I don't even... <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> You know who you are. All right. So basically, I'll give you guys a very quick backstory. When I first started at one of the church, at my very first church that I was um, associate pastor of, straight out of Avondale, the very first sermon that I preached at my first church, um, I was talking about materialism. I was talking about the shallowness of the culture, and and I used the Kardashians as an example to illustrate 
shallow culture, the pursuit of money, the yeah, all that, all that sort of stuff. You're a bold one, aren't you? I am. Oh, I thought I was going to be pretty safe. I mean, I'm preaching this in an Adventist church. I thought for <laughs> the people who knew the Kardashians, they'd be like, "Yes, here, here, isn't it terrible?" Little did I know there was a uh, young lady in the congregation who I became frenemies with ever since, <laughs> um, <laughs> who um, deeply, deeply um, had a passion for the Kardashians, still does to my knowledge. Um, oh, there she, you go. A role model for her, um, which I really, really grated against. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's been one of those things ever since then. Um, she brings it up every time she sees me. Um, every day, every year when it's my birthday, she'll post a picture of the Kardashians on my Facebook wall um, to say happy birthday from her and the family. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's the story. That's the story. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. Great insights there. Really deep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a, this one. I love this next question, and oh, I just I could talk about it for days. All right. Why so many SDA churches? Hillsong has four in Victoria, so the state of Victoria in Australia. So Hillsong has four campuses in in Victoria, and the SDA have like over a hundred. Is it a waste of resources? Oh man. Yes and no, yeah. I would say. You you there's, go first. You go first. Ah, there's so many pros and cons. It's just crazy. Okay, so I think it is a fantastic use of resources to only have four big churches, right? Um, in in Melbourne. Um, the con of that is that they have no reach outside of urban, like the city of Melbourne. And I know the person who's asking this; they live in in the city of Melbourne. Mm. Um because I've, I've known them for years. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they live, you know, I think all like outer suburbs of Melbourne. So I think that one of the Hillsong campuses is within pretty easy reach of them. It would be a different story if they lived like where my dad lives, which is like way out in country Victoria. There's no chance of a Hillsong campus ever being out there. And I think really. that's that's Hillsong's that's Hillsong's intentionality. Like I don't, they've never really had much of an interest in, in rural ministry. No, their their whole thing is reaching and influencing cities. That's that's their whole thing. That's why they started. Um, and so that's why it really works well for them to have just four big campuses. Um, but you know, it is it is a, a very clean. Like I don't know. I would be interested to see like the members of Hillsong in Victoria and comparing it to how many members of the Adventist Church we have in Victoria. Well, a- Adventism in Victoria has like something like a hundred year head start on Hillsong to be fair doesn't matter doesn't matter in the end like I mean look at all the churches that have a head start of Hillsong in lots of places and Hillsong Mm. have far surpassed them um yeah so I think it's it doesn't I don't know like Hillsong's growth is honestly radical so Um, would you say would you say that is your assumption or your feeling that Hillsong has more people in Victoria than SDA Church does I have no idea I honestly don't know um Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would. That's what I'm saying. I'd be interested to see, and then you could do a very, you could do a very great analysis of um, the use of resources and how it works. Um, the benefit of actually having a hundred small churches actually is that you, I think, you actually have the opportunity to a reach further into rural places that wouldn't be able to have church, but also b, I think it actually builds more leaders. 
um, okay. because you've got more people who need to step up into leadership roles just because of the yeah the ne- the necessity of it. When there's only twenty five people around in your church, who's gonna someone's got to lead it. Whereas like in Hillsong, the leader to follower ratio is probably a lot smaller. Not, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's a thing. It's a thing thing. Um, mm. I would say I would say we've probably created this idea of what a church is to be a little bit off what probably Jesus intended a church to be or what the early apostles intended a church to be. So if you were to take that that Hillsong model and you were to combine it with the Adventist model in Jesse's perfect world that I'm thinking of in my head, there's no reason why you couldn't have four large church buildings or gathering spaces uh, dotted around the city of Melbourne or, you know, some in, you know, maybe up north, maybe you had one big one in Aubrey-Wodonga or something like that. Um, And then you had like a hundred churches that met in homes or met at Mm. a park or a cafe. A church is just merely a gathering of people. I think that one of the things that slowed us down is this Western English colonial idea that if you're a church, you need a building and you need to be able to have your three hymns in a sermon every Sabbath. And that's what you do. Like you have to have X, Y, Z. And I realize what I'm talking about, it is like a huge paradigm shift. But I honestly think that would probably be more effective than having a hundred tiny churches dotted around, or hundred plus tiny churches dotted around the state of Victoria. Um, yeah. If you I had, think, yeah. Oh, I think it would just be a better use of resources if we had yeah. fewer churches, but yeah, that but we're able to be more unified in vision. Yeah. That's part of the problem as well. We've had so many churches split because of dumb things like music. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's never, it's rarely ever a split over mission or, you know what I mean? Like it's, so I think if we had more churches that could just put aside their differences and actually come together um, and yeah, just all be, all be together and yeah, we'd have more reach. We'd be using our resources better. Um, For example, a great use of resources to do multiple services in one building rather than being like, we want to do another service. Let's use a whole nother building and do it at the exact same time. I I honestly cannot fathom why we do that. But uh, we've talked about that on other episodes. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, so I think it is a bit of a waste of resources, but there are some pros to it that we have to acknowledge. Uh, And I think there's something we can find where we could learn from that and do better. Mm. I think at the end of the day, it takes way too much money to bring a person to Jesus. And back in the in the the New Testament, um, the the thing that really drew people to joining the church was other people. You know, it wasn't a, an evangelistic crusade. It wasn't necessarily um, a marketing campaign or whatever. I think that it shouldn't cost anything to bring people to Jesus. It couldn't, shouldn't cost anything to grow a church. Of course, you can do things to help your church grow bigger using social media, using your resources to pour into your local community. But at the end of the day, I don't think that the way that we spend money is extremely responsible on the whole. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe controversial, but hey, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's uh, what right. we do. It's what we do. Okay, next question. I don't really want to. <laughs> okay. It's from my wife's best friend just talking about how attractive my wife is. And yes, I agree. She is attractive. All right. 
Um, no comment. Next one. Okay. What do you think of investigative judgment? Is it biblical? <laughs> <laughs> Again, not a scholar. <laughs> it's it's uh, interesting because this leads into a further question around one of our the scholars in our church who did have an issue with the investigative judgment and who recently also passed away. So that's that's an interesting uh, sort of correlation. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I'm going to say, I think the, the investigative judgment is biblical. I think a lot of people have misinterpreted even the Adventist interpretation of it and given a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Uh, a quick summary, according to Josh and according to some great conversations around that I had with a friend who was writing an essay on this while we were in college, and I kind of wish I did an essay on it because then I'd be able to give a better answer. Um, maybe I'll get that person on the podcast, actually. But anyway... Um, Essentially what the investigative judgment is, a lot of people have painted it to be all about um, like almost like God God condemning each one of us sort of thing. It's not really, it's more about God proving to the universe that he is just. Um, so it's about him going through the book of life and then actually saying and, and showing to the world that, look, this is it. This is the record. And you can see right here, instead of their name, like instead of what they've done, they've got what Jesus has done. The blood of Jesus has washed over them. So therefore they are clean. It's essentially God just acting as our behalf on as lawyer and as judge sort of. So it seems a bit weird, but that's basically what it is. It's, it's, it's not actually, it's not targeted at us. It's actually targeted at the rest of the universe, whether that be the angels or other life forms on other planets that weren't fallen or something like that. I don't know. Um, but that's what it's essentially meant to be about. It's about God proving that he's just to the rest of the universe. It's not actually about us. Yeah? Did you have anything yes. to add, Jesse? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. If you're not happy with that answer, I'm sorry. That's the best I could do right now. Um, I think I think it's good. I, I think that... I don't think that we should make a, as big of a deal out of it as we have. Unfortunately, on a historical level... 1844 happened, the Great Disappointment happened, then the um, surviving Millerite um, movement who uh, stayed in, invested in this whole thing afterward and eventually became the Adventist Church. They studied and they studied and they studied and they asked questions and they tried to figure out why they got disappointed in 1844 and the investigative judgment and all that sort of stuff is kind of the direct result of that. So, on one hand, you could make a case for saying, you know, look look at all the stuff in the Bible, look at how this ties in with Scripture, look at how it ties in with the greater thrust of the biblical narrative, and I think you can make a case for that. It's also very easy to make a case for, well, did you guys just make this up so that you had an explanation for being wrong? Now, that's a controversial statement. <laughs> well... I don't know. That's that's. No, well, <laughs> I don't have yeah, an well, answer that's, for that's it. That's the tension that's been against against the the voice of the church, I guess that yeah. you're speaking of, really. Um, yeah. And I think another thing as well, the investigative judgment gets messy when you conflate it with a close of probation. Yep. It's earlier than what God actually intends. The historical uh, shut door doctrine. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that go into the investigative judgment that can either make or break it, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And I think I think the actual traditional stance on it is actually really good, but I think people have conflated it and gotten it gotten it confused. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
Okay, Ellen White being used instead of the Bible? Uh, bad. Yep, <laughs> I don't know. Ellen White herself asked people not to use her from the pulpit. So if that's what she wanted, then I think we should listen to her. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said on that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think... I don't think I don't think necessarily using her as well as because the way that I think of her is I think of her as a writer who wrote things that are beautiful and I think that were helpful and that were pertinent to a particular time and place. Just the same as I might use C.S. Lewis or another um, writer that God used to say something really profound and that might have something to say to us today. Um, I believe that she was a prophet. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that that means that she has an authoritative voice equal to or superseding the Bible itself. Um, so, and I and I don't think that she ever did either. Yeah, no, I w- she even described herself as a lesser light pointing to the greater light. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's a quote that gets used but not listened to a lot, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's the thing. I think um, all of our, all of our doctrine should and is all of our is is to be proved only from the Bible. We don't yep. need Ellen White to prove it. She helps bring light to things um, that are hard to bring light to otherwise. But all of our core doctrine, all of our core beliefs as a church um, should, and in my opinion, are, are proved only from the Bible. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and so that's what it's all about. That's meant to be our only authority, so let's keep it that way. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Okay, what advice to singles to help them find contentment in singleness. The fact that we don't hear... Oh, and no, that's another question. Well, kind of actually interlinked. I'll read the next one as well. Okay. The fact that we don't hear about sex and porn in the church. Um, I guess that's... An, they want to they hear more about it or they don't... Or they don't. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Well, um, they, hey. they are kind of two questions, but they are kind of one question as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Singles in the church. Um, you know, oh, I... We have a really great guest who can talk about this that I'm trying to get on the podcast, um, but it just hasn't happened yet. So we will talk about this more. But for now, I want to say um, I think there's a lot of undue pressure put on single people to get married in the church, uh, yep. which is pretty unfortunate. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a church problem. I think it's just like a society problem. Like well, when, you, yeah. when you get to a certain age, I think a society expects you to get married. And then once you're married, society is like, when are you going to have kids? And then after you've had a few kids, you know, what school are you going to send them to? And then once they grow up, oh, when are, you, when are they going to have kids? Like, I I don't know. I just, I just get that. It, it annoys me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. As soon as we got married, everybody's like, oh, so when are you having kids? I'm like, whoa, calm down. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so I think yeah, there's a sort of perpetual societal problem. I think it's easing off in secular society a little bit. People are getting married less and having kids less. Um, so I guess they must not be feeling the pressure as much, or maybe they do. I don't know, but they just feel empowered to swim against the pressure. I don't know. Mm, mm. Um, I'm going to say this word of encouragement to singles: enjoy your singleness. Um, enjoy the the time you have, honestly. And I don't say that as like I don't. I love being married, but it's a different use of time. Do you know what I mean? Like I now spend a lot more time um, with my wife, obviously, and I love spending time with her. Um, but I can't spend time like just doing the things I want to do. That's just part of married life. I don't re- like. I've. I'm like. I'm not. I'm just trying to establish. I'm not upset about this. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. all. But it's just a reality. When you're married, you don't have as much time for yourself. 
um, and the things that you, the passion projects you want to do. So that's why like in being single, you should enjoy and follow the passions that you have while you can um, in with, with the same capacity you can for now. Mm. Um, like, I mean, I'm still obviously p- pursuing a whole lot of passions that I want to in being married. Um, and my wife, she empowers me to do those things, which is great. Um, but the reality is you, you just can't do as much as you can when you're not single. So I would say, yeah, yeah like I got friends who started crazy music projects and stuff and, um, yeah, online projects. And it's something they could really only do being single. Um, like there's no way they'd get the time for that to start it, um, being married and especially having kids, that's an even another level of time, time constraints. Mm. Um, so yeah. And I mean, yeah, you, you can really, yeah, do awesome stuff when you're single. You can do awesome stuff when you're married, but don't think that life only starts when you're married. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't just sit there wasting away going, I wish I was in a relationship. You know, that's, Hey, that's a big turn off to the opposite sex you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sitting there showing how desperate you are to get into a relationship and also you're just wasting so much time because you could be doing awesome stuff like i remember being an irresponsible i quote unquote irresponsible single you know because i could just get up and do whatever i wanted to do whenever i wanted to do it basically within within reason you can go away for the weekend on a on a dime you can you know just play board games or whatever or video games till three o'clock in the morning and there was no consequences for it you know apart from <laughs> having to get up for work but it like yeah. the dynamic just completely changes when you're married so just enjoy it yeah enjoy the season that god has you in that's what it's all about um so yeah uh okay and uh questions about the fact that we don't hear about sex and porn in the church i i kind of disagree with that a little bit i feel like we've been talking about it more and more in the the recent years i feel I like agree. i feel like we are actually i think we are we are talking about it more the one thing that i would like to to see more of in the church is talking about sex not just not just about how you should wait until you're married but also when you are married how to have a really great sexual relationship with your spouse like i think that that's True. something that we don't talk about up that much in the church as a, as a whole it's just like expected that you will abstain from sex until you're married and then once you're married you'll automatically have a great sexual relationship and that's that doesn't happen for most people i don't know anybody that you know was like really really you know frigid you know no no holding hands no touchy no kissy and then suddenly when they became married they became the sexual person who really enjoyed their experience and their sexuality i just I think that's an unrealistic expectation. So I would like to see more about how to have a great sexual relationship with your partner after mm. marriage. Interesting. Sounds like a good episode. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would actually say another reason we don't hear more about this. I mean, if you're talking about in the church service, <clears throat> another reason we don't hear a lot about this is because we have an integrated church service with kids in our church services. That's a real, there's a whole lot of things that all of a sudden you can't talk about in church because there's a whole bunch of little kids present. That's true. So I think um, we need to make a way or make a platform to be able to talk about these things in a way that's going to be either appropriate to kids or um, that the kids can go off and do something else while the adults talk about it. Like kids church Mm. is a great option for that. That's why often you see churches with kids church, often the sermons can get into a lot harsher topics because kids aren't there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I love 
I love having kids around for, you know, for integrated worship and that kind of thing. And I think it's really valuable to do church together and kids are a part of our church. But, I mean, their age has to be taken into consideration at times. Um, so I actually think this is a reason why in a lot of churches it's still not very talked about because it's actually not appropriate to sometimes, a lot yeah, of the time, all the I time. I agree. But is another it, reason why podcasts are a great platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oz Table Talk um, just did a great episode on porn and um, from a personal experience. And I think that was really brave of them to do um, and be so vulnerable. And I think it's a it's a great it's a great thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you want to see it talked about, just create platforms to talk about it. Maybe it's an afternoon yeah. workshop or something. I don't know. Um, we will we will talk about it eventually. We will talk yep. about it one day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Next question. Um, <laughs> Jesse, I think this is for you. Have you downloaded Elder Scrolls Blades yet? And um, <laughs> she wants to catch up with okay. you and get <laughs> yeah. your phone. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, okay. sister. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Uh, any advice for someone who is considering going into pastoral ministry? How did you both know God was calling you to be a pastor? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? No, you can go first. All right. Um, I for me it was it was I didn't have a road to Damascus experience like a lot of pastors, you know, kind of portray. Like you know, I was the bottom of the barrel. I was. Well, I was at the bottom of my my bottle, and I was I was in a ditch, and then suddenly God appeared to me out of nowhere and told me to be a pastor. Like I didn't have that experience, but what I did have was a still small voice. I think like an annoying younger sibling, just kind of poking it, prodding at my heart over an extended period of time. Um, and so this is over about a two year period. You know, like when. You leave school and you're thinking about what you want to do. You have all these sort of life crises like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what the future is going to hold. It's all so scary. Uh, and some people I know have a you know a plan as soon as they are age 11. They know what their 20-year plan is going to be and <laughs> good for them. Um, I'm not that sort of person. I'm much more of a go-with-the-flow sort of guy, but... I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so over a period of about two years, um, God started to speak to me and um, he started to prompt me to, to go down this pathway. And it was confirmed with a lot of other people who were around me who were speaking into my life and were saying these sorts of things. Eventually, I, I, I set out a very definite fleece um, with a very definite yes or no sort of um, result. And God ended up um, honoring the the yes conditions of the fleece that I put out and so that was the clincher for me but that wasn't like the only that wasn't the only thing that made me go yep ministries for me it was something over um, a long period of time so I would say for those of you who are considering going into pastoral ministry I think that there has to be some sort of confirmation around you i think it's very wise to ask the people around you what they think um, about your temperament about your passions about the realistic um so just some of the realities of ministry like having to move around like i never thought that i would end up in new zealand of all places um and i know of many pastors who have ended up in 
much stranger places than New Zealand um, as a result of saying yes to that call. So, mm, like Tasmania. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's that you got you got to think about it. Really consider if that's because you got you got to know what you're signing up for. Like I, I would definitely I would definitely advise against jumping in totally blind. I I, I think that that's that's an unwise thing because a lot of people jump into pastoral ministry and I've seen this many times they don't really think things through they just feel God calling them and they just go in blind and they don't really think about they don't count the cost I suppose is what I'm saying and I would definitely advise that you do that um, because it is a significant lifestyle change from just being a quote-unquote regular ordinary person to being a pastor so that's what I would say yeah um yeah, I think for me, um, my story is a little bit more. Um, I, I yeah, I had a bit of an experience when I was sixteen, seventeen, where I really met Jesus, and I mean, I, I had called myself a Christian all my life, but um, yeah, even been baptized younger. But I would say I really had an amazing experience and understanding Jesus when I was about sixteen, and. For me, honestly, um, I just knew from that day all I wanted to do was build up the church. And I don't care what capacity that looks like. That's just what I've always been called to. Um, so right now, I felt like, yeah, the best step God, and God was calling to me next was to be a pastor. Um, but I'm always just going to follow where he's leading. And that's the thing. It's always just been to build up the church in whatever way and whatever capacity I can. Mm. Um and, you know, a big part of that has been through music. I thought I was going to be doing music full-time. That's not reality right now, but who knows? You never know. Um, mm. And advice for someone going into pastoral ministry? Um, yep, yeah, Jesse's advice was bang on. Um, if you're going to pastor a church, um, some good advice I received was to actually talk through the expectations with your church members um, and set reasonable expectations. Um, I would say as well, be wary um, of your, like, so I know I'm prone to, to become a, like a workaholic and just get so invested. I never do anything else. Um, I know that I have a proneness to that. So I'm very strict about the hours that I work for church. And a lot of people don't like me saying that you're a pastor, you should just live it and breathe it. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should, but I can't. Um, so I'm very strict about the time I spend doing church stuff and the time I spend doing other stuff. I'm strict about keeping hobbies and things that I love doing, family time. Um, yeah, so know where that fits in for you. Um, and my last bit would actually be don't let your passion die. Um, if you are passionate, like honest, and I this sounds super harsh, but when you first go into full-time ministry, There'll be a whole lot of things that, um, and I personally think it's just things that the enemy does and he tries to actually make us really numb to our passion and our fire and that fire in your belly that you get to build the church up. You can't ever let that be extinguished um, because when you do, you become just another numb pastor just going through the motions. Um, we don't need that. We actually need, and I mean, for anybody who's experiencing that, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I, yeah, I'm saying that as somebody who's, again, become prone to losing my fire, and I have, but um, God's graciously reignited it for me again. Um, and so, yeah, I would say really be really be intentional about keeping your passions and your that fire in your belly about minist doing ministry. Um, yeah, because there'll be a number of things that will try and extinguish it, especially in your first year. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, actually, even especially over the course of the degree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, a whole lot of experiences and you know, oh, we're doing that for years. It doesn't work. Whatever. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, no, that's oh, good. That's good. Yeah, we are running out of time. Okay. We still got a few questions to go. Let's get, push through. Let's it. just push yeah, through. Yeah, we can do it. All right. Is it possible for someone to go to heaven without saving a soul? Oh. What a weird question, but also what a tricky question, eh? Yep. Uh yes. Yeah, I think so. I think yep. the only the only contingent of I, I think going to heaven is the wrong is the wrong way to say it. I don't think I think that's sort of been the paradigm for, for Christianity. Like the whole idea of Christianity is so that you go to heaven, not to hell. I don't think that's the right way to say it. I think the better way to say it would be experiencing the resurrection or being a Christian when Jesus comes back because the thrust of scripture, I believe, is more about heaven and earth coming back together than for us to escape this place. That's a side note. But I do think that the only contingency, the only requirement is that personal relationship and dependence on Jesus and his sufficient sacrifice. However, I think our our friend um, James, the, the brother of Jesus, would probably have issues with this question um, as, as, as many of our church fathers have uh, illuminated. Um, many people didn't like James being in the Bible because of his whole, you know, faith without works is dead sort of thing. It's a very challenging balance between only Jesus can save us, only grace can save us. But at the same time, that should produce in us, if it's a true conversion, if it's a true, if it's true devotion, it should produce within us the fruit that actually brings other people into that truth. Yeah. I would say, I would say like this, you can get into heaven, but it would be harder to get heaven in, into you, into your surrounding community. Yeah. Without mm. saving a soul. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that. So you'll get into the kingdom of heaven, but the king, kingdom of heaven, you'll be struggling to get it around here if you're not saving anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. Oh gosh. <laughs> This one's a this one's a can of worms, definitely. Yeah, how can we answer this? Okay, in this time. Okay, uh, all right. Des Ford, hero or heathen? I wouldn't say heathen. Or but hero or villain, maybe. Yeah. But he, heathen's more like, or heretic, hero or heretic. I wouldn't say either. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. I struggle to answer this one because we weren't there at the time. It's so hard to figure out how this whole thing actually went, you know? I have only, okay, so that 95% of what I know about Des Ford is, has been from people who were his opponents in the 1980s. Yeah. Well, that's the stuff that's been circulated the most. Yes. So I, I've talked to a few people over the years who were friends or who were students of Des, um, and who were on his side, but that's a very that that's maybe like two people that I that I've met myself who were actually students of his or that knew him personally and who who were on his side as far as the theological spectrum goes. Um, I will say this though, I don't know if Des was right or if the church was right, um, and that's pretty controversial even in itself. Um, 
I don't know that the issues on a theological level well enough to be able to make that decision. If you believe that Des was wrong, I'm totally all good with that. Um, however, I will say this, the way that his life um, kind of unfolded after Glacier View and after the whole controversy in the 1980s, it's really hard to dislike the guy. You know, it's it's really hard. Like when I, so when I, last year, I did a little bit of research into him for myself. I, I, I called up on YouTube a lot of the old um, TV shows that had done specials on him. There was one particular one where he sat with another another scholar for like three hours and they just talked through their their views. And when I, when I, when I heard that, when I read some of the stuff that he's written, it's just Jesus, Christ loves you. He wants you to have assurance of salvation. He doesn't want you to doubt whether you're saved or not. When you live with him and you live in a relationship with him, that transforms you. And I could see that. I could see how Christ-like he was. I could see how much of a gospel-centered man he was outside of the academic scholarly rhetoric. And that, to me, I don't know, it endeared him to me. So that's what I would say. I, I, I would say he's more on the hero side, in just not in, maybe not in terms of what he believed. He could have been wrong. Um, that I don't know if that's still up for debate. It's, I feel like it is too much of a can of worms for us to. Re- I don't feel qualified to talk about it. But no, me neither. As a person and as a Bible teacher and as a as a pastor, I I think, I, yeah, I I can see why people loved him. Yeah, and I've got. I've got a friend who, um, even just in recent years, he was struggling with ministry and he was struggling with doing ministry in the Adventist church. He was studying Theo and he, he's been public about this story, but he, he went to Des Ford actually to talk to him about his experience. And, um, Des Ford, even this is, I think a couple of years ago, actually said, um, you know, you have to preach Jesus. You have to preach the gospel. Um, and he said that, they, like, he actually never discouraged them from going into the Adventist church or anything. He doesn't hold any ill feelings about the, he, he didn't he- hold any ill feelings towards the Adventist church. He actually was just saying, you should, you should go there and just preach the gospel. That's what we do. That's what Adventism is all about. And I was like, oh, that's actually really cool that he didn't, I don't know, he didn't have any, but then, uh, that's the thing. It's so hard because it's all secondhand info to me. So I, it, I find it really challenging to have a definitive word on this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm g- I'm going to leave it there for me anyway. Yeah, no, that's fine. Personally. Let's move on. Yeah, uh, okay, next one. What are some ways to make prayer meaningful for yourself and others, especially in a time where it seems like there is so much chaos? Mm. I, th- I think for me, I, I got into a habit and it, it really has been taking a long time for me to break out of it that, like there are specific times of the day to pray, like early in the morning or late at night, after you get out of bed, before you go to bed, that sort of thing. But one thing that I've been trying to live with is trying to live in the presence and, and, and trying to understand that I'm living in the presence of God every every minute. Mm. Um, and so prayer has become, I'm trying to make it, and it's always a struggle but I'm trying to make prayer less of a formal thing and to get my head out of feeling like 
oh, our father in heaven, hallowed be, you know, like the, the formal, you know, the tropes, you know, dear yeah. heavenly father, yada, yada, yada. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please be with such. And just communicate with God like he wants us to communicate with him through Jesus as a friend, as a, you know, as our father, as our king. Um, to also, also just to, one thing that's really liberated me is, is I don't have to wait and pray for everything all at once. I can just pray for one thing in one moment and then pray for another thing two hours later. And I don't have to just save all my prayers just for one where I pray for like mm. half an hour straight, making sure I have my list of things that I have to pray about. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is the thing. I don't know if it's helpful, but for me, it was helpful. Um, I got three things, uh, praying in ways that are interesting to me. So a big way that I still pray now is I just grab my guitar and, um, I sort of sing, sing prayers sometimes. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I do that a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I just find when I put a melody behind it. Yeah. I don't know. It just helps me. Um, or even sometimes I'll like put music on in the car and pray over the, the melody of the music or something like different to what the words are or whatever. Um, that's me, but I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm a musical person. Next was I pray, I started learning to pray really, um, specific prayers. Like I tried to be as, as specific as I could in what I'm praying to make it like as real as I could. Um, yeah. Cause I'd be like, God, please bless this person and bless this person. You know, I started to be like, okay, Lord, I just pray that you would, um, provide, um, financial security for this person in this season of their life. I pray that you would, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know like if I'm praying for healing or something or like, Lord, I pray that you would realign these nerves. Or, you know what I mean? I just try and make things as specific as I could to make it real and really what I'm asking of God. Um, and the last thing I prayed, I started trying to pray more bold. Um, so um, I had a thing recently where I accidentally booked some plane tickets the wrong date and um, they were on sale and then the sale ended. And then I was like, oh no, I can't afford to pay the full price on these. And I was like crying. <laughs> um, and the sa- and I had to rebook the tickets and there's an extra fee on top of rebooking the tickets. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pay so much money. I might not actually be able to afford to go to Australia in the end or whatever. Well, yeah, to where I was going. Yeah, to Australia. Um, and then um, I just prayed, okay, God, I know you want me to go on this trip. I know I made a mistake and I booked the wrong date, but Lord, um, I know that you're going to get these tickets moved and I'm not going to have to pay anything extra and they're just going to move them for me. And I paid that and I was like, I don't know why I'm praying this. I'm just going to, I'm just making myself get let down. Lo and behold, got them on the phone after being on hold for 45 minutes and <laughs> bam, they did it totally free. They said, we don't normally do this, but you know, it sounds like a sucky situation. So we're just going to do it for you. I was like, huh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? Incredible. Like, was, yeah. But yeah, I just was like, I'm just going to be bold with this. Why am I always, it's like, I'm always trying to protect God by praying small prayers that I know he can answer. But instead, I actually want to pray big prayers that only he can do. Mm. You know, I don't know. That's good. Those, those That's three good. help me. Yeah. Okay, next one. Okay, I'm going to say who this one's from because they deserve. Oh, they deserve sorry. To be shamed. Yeah, they deserve to be shamed. But from We Movies, um, <laughs> who we had on the podcast a while ago. I'm sure this will get lost in the comments, but it's really important. It is a hygiene question. So, I don't know what that is. Uh, I have to ask. Uh, of course, I have to ask. If my finger travels at a speed of 30 centimeters a second and my nose is traveling at a speed of zero centimeters a second, how many nose nuggets can I expect to find 
after one third of an hour? I'd say about 23. I was going to say seven because that's a good mm. Adventist number. Yeah. A yeah. good ad- Adventist number answering a good Adventist question. <laughs> yep. Or actually even better because they're a movie podcast. The answer should be 42. Yeah. That's a lot of nose nuggets, my friend. That <laughs> yeah, is a lot. But I think if you have that many, I think if you have that many, you should go to a doctor. That's the answer to everything. And we movies, you should do a podcast on the number forty-two. All I right. agree. Cool. Uh, last question. Oh my goodness, we've made it. I know we're running over time, but we got to do it. Why does mainstream Christianity hold such a staunch view that morality can only come from Jesus, Christianity, God? As in one can only be morally or good or righteous person by using those terms or having a relationship with those terms. A good example is Hollywood movies showing strong moral values yet demand unholy by the Christian community as in the cinema is evil, blah, blah, blah. I'm qu- I'm actually reading that they said blah blah blah, not me. So, <laughs> so the poor grammar and the the blah blah blahs, it's it's on them. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that question. <laughs> what? So what you're really talking about is what's at the basis of everything? And I think the Christian story for a while now. I don't think. I think this is probably due to our move into modernism. I think is where a lot of this comes from. And it's to do with what's your moral basis? What is the thing under the thing under the thing which undergirds and, you know, holds everything up? And the Christian story has been, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was good, but then humans sucked and did bad things. And now God is trying to fix that up. And so because in the beginning God created the earth, then the earth is built with his laws and his His morality, which is all good, which is all fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Perhaps the part of this that maybe our friend who is asking the question is really frustrated with is that that example where Hollywood movies strong show strong moral, moral values. Oh gosh, I can't talk. And yet it's deemed unholy. In other words, you can't watch movies because movies is bad. And even though they show good morals, that mean that doesn't save them because movies are inherently bad. I don't know that's a I don't know if that's an argument that we see a lot in this day and age. I think that's probably maybe a smaller portion of our of our church that still really holds to that belief that, you know, television and, and movies on the whole are all evil and bad. But it is interesting. I think probably what an easy out would be is if a movie shows good moral values then they probably got it from Christianity in the first place I think that's an easy out but at the same time I think possibly the other question that maybe you're reading into this is who says that I couldn't get a lesson or I couldn't learn morality from somebody like Buddha or from Muhammad or from somebody else who is not Christian. Like, I think that's possibly part of the conversation. And that in itself, I think, deserves an entire episode to talk about. Well, I mean, we did kind of talk about it in the interview we had with We Movies, the Nose Nuggets people. Um, (laughs) And we also talked about it a little bit with the episode of What is a Zeitgeist, which are both pretty recent episodes. So I would look go back and listen to those for a more extended picture on our view of this. 
I am going to say, though, I am pretty staunch on the reality that I think a person can only be righteous through Christ. Well, I don't know if you're saying morally righteous, but it just says morally, morally good or righteous. And I think a person, I think righteousness can only be found through faith in Jesus because that's what gives us a right relationship with God. Um, and that's because, like, Jesus, Jesus is, like, perfect. Do you know what I mean? That's the whole point of what we believe, that... Um, that he's he's like the the best example has given us a new way of living living life, but he's also righteous in himself, and his sacrifice on the cross is what has actually made us all righteous. Mm. Um, the reason I hold that belief in him distortion is because I believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I believe yeah. what he did on the cross. Maybe that's not what you're looking for, but I just want to make sure that that's. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely staunch on that. As far as can somebody be a good person without Jesus? Um, yeah. Obviously. I think yeah. that's self-evident. Yeah, we've seen heaps of it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's even a question. I think there. I think maybe the distinction here is because he, he uses... He or she uses um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the terminology morality and also righteousness. And those things are somewhat synonymous in our culture, but I don't think they are synonymous in actuality because righteousness is, it's more of a legal term, as you just said, Josh. It's, 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 it's to do with our right or unright standing with God. It's, it's to do with how we stand with Him and how He views us, whereas morality is about defining good and evil. And those two things are inextricably linked, but they aren't the same thing. Um, what I would say is that if we believe that there is a divine being who created and orchestrated um, creation in the universe, and if there is a morality that's that's baked in to that creation, um, then there is going to be there are going to be certain things that are self-evident and that are expressed throughout creation that may be expressed in the ways that if you're a Christian you expect, but also maybe expressed in ways that you don't expect. Um, so, for instance, I think that whilst we are Christian and, and we do get our moral authority from the Bible and from the teachings of the Bible, I think that perhaps you could say that you could get a moral influence or moral... Um, uh, what's the right word to say this? A sort of a sort of moral lesson from something that is not um, obviously Christian. For instance, the teachings of Buddha. I mean, you don't say that the teachings of Buddha are all rubbish just because he doesn't believe in Jesus. Do I mean? Do I mean to say then that Buddha is on the same level as the Bible and Jesus? No. But can we? Could we learn something from the Buddha? Probably. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read enough of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Just as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I guess it's an, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. Like But yeah, I would say we can learn we can learn moral lessons from ev- everywhere. And that's part of the parables of Jesus is that he would create these moral lessons out of really mundane things. Um you know, like a the the parable of sowing seeds and that kind of thing like it's pretty absolutely 
Yeah, you wouldn't think about it before and think like, oh, yes, look at these seeds. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did. It's how he used to teach. And I think pastors still do it. We bring, when we do sermons, we bring every lessons out of everyday things. Um, so I think it is possible to learn moral lessons from, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't okay. sound it doesn't sound very orthodox, which I think is why it is a little bit uncomfortable for us to say that. But I I think it is I think it's common sense. A little bit. I think it's a little bit of common sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> we did it. We got through all the questions. I know we're running Woo! really over time. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. And um yeah, we look forward to the next time we do something like this. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on everything we talked about today. We talked about a couple of things. So yeah. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> yeah. Uh Jesse, do you have any last remarks? Um, yeah, hey, if you, this is the first time that you're listening to Burn the Haystack, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Um, please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have subscribed, please leave us a review on whatever podcatching app that you're using. Uh, it really helps us. It um, brings people uh, to the podcast. It helps us really get out there more. So we would love you eternally if you left a review. And for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go and check out burnthehaystack.org. We got everything. We got blogs. We got links. We got everything. So go and check it out. But anyway, that's us for now. That is Josh and Jesse out.